Hey, Augmenters. I'm Julie. This is Jimmy. And we believe authentic, connected relationships are the key to growing your potential. Today, we are joined by Christina Curtis, founder and CEO of Curtis Leadership Coaching and author of Choosing Greatness, an evidence-based approach to achieving exceptional outcomes. Christina has a direct and clear cutting view on how to succeed in exceptional roles. She can see through the fog and provide transparent advice for mentors on how to really show up and push mentees, even the most challenging mentees who may not want to share or mentees that may seem the most outwardly successful. Christina has some simple advice for how to improve your relationships. But don't worry, we also talk about Cookie Monster. Here we go. Christina Curtis, we are so excited to have you on Augmenters with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. So Christina, I absolutely loved your book, Choosing Greatness. I feel like I'm so incredibly lucky to get to spend so much of my time reading these incredible leadership books, all the different takes, all the different ways people look at it. And I think you have such an incredibly wonderful and unique way that you are looking at leadership. And we'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Tell us about yourself. Tell us a little about your company and a little bit about your book. Yeah. So I live in Colorado, which is a beautiful state with mountains and and we came here from Canada. So you might hear some Canadian tones in my... uh, I was going to (laughs) ask... Yeah, I'm Canadian, out and about, but now live in Colorado. And I started in the space of organizational psychology 20 years ago. And I was in training and said, gosh, I really want to get into this coaching space. But 20 years ago, that was not a thing. And it was not in the help wanted ads to look for an executive coach. So stuck in the training space at Xerox and ran their national sales training program and then jumped off eventually and started working with Olympic athletes and small business owners and now run Curtis Leadership Coaching out of Denver. We're boutique firm that serves Fortune 500 companies and world-class entrepreneurs in their goal-achieving processes. And you're quite a writer. I've seen a bunch of your articles. Julie's more on the book side. I guess my attention span is lower. So the article's more. What's what's like one of the best things about writing for some of these larger online publications that people wouldn't immediately realize? Like what actually drives you? Yeah, usually it's something that I that comes out of one of my coaching sessions. So I'll be working with, I find over 20 years, I've seen really consistent themes in terms of what people are struggling with, what it is that's holding them back. And holding them back, by the way, some of the people I work with are achieving stratospheric levels of success. And it's it's really intimidating actually to shake their hand and say, hi, let's let's go even bigger and bolder. But they get there by moving one of the roadblocks that many of us struggle with. They are not unique in terms of what holds them back. So I love the articles because for me, it's a really quick way to get an insight out there. Um, I've written for Harvard Business Review and Psychology Today and Forbes, and I'm featured in Entrepreneur Magazine and Fortune Magazine. And each one of those ties back to some insight where it's like, gosh, this is a pattern. This is a pattern all of us are struggling with. And there's a way to figure it out on how to remove it and get the clutter and get ourselves out of our way. And so there is the inception of an article. Is there one thing that you don't like about writing then where you write these articles and you know, Entrepreneur Magazine is like, no, Christina, this is great, but like you need to do this if we really want to be able to broadcast this. You know, Jimmy, the easiest part about writing an article in, in a book is the external facing part. The hardest part is the internal. 
it's sitting down and getting out of your head and not sabotaging the day by living in a place of self-doubt. Your inner critic can be pretty loud when it's just you and time and a laptop. So I find that is the hardest part about writing an article. So you're not editing every sentence. Uh, you're not editing every word before you actually get your ideas out there, which I think, again, is something many of us struggle with, just not even in writing, but in life. The inner critic and Christina, I'm passionate about what you talk about as it relates to growth mindset, brain chemistry, these ideas that we, these stories that we tell about ourselves. I've talked about this quite a bit, like these stories that we tell to ourselves about ourselves that are just stories that really hold us back. So I loved your concept around choosing greatness. Like how, how do we get past that? And obviously here at Augmenters, our mission is to help others connect more authentically and grow to their potential. And the key, so much of growing to your potential is obviously changing your mindset. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you imagine helping people or how you do help people really shift their mindset to be able to make real change in their life. Yeah, it's such an important element to understand that the brain in essence is an economical organ that doesn't want to expend energy if it doesn't have to. If it's already come up with a decision in the past that's worked in the past, it's happy just plugging in those coordinates again and going for that, which leaves us running on autopilot. 40% of the time, actually, 40% of our day, we're literally plugging in coordinates of where we've been rather than where we want to go. And the most important element of coaching that really came to me over the past 10 years is figuring out what those patterns are that are running in the background that people aren't even aware are running and assess them, analyze them. Is this actually helping me? Is this hindering me? Is this net neutral and it's not actually propelling me forward? Is it an anchor? All of those questions have to be asked about that 40% of our day in order to truly drive exceptional outcomes. i give you an example. Think about earlier in my career, one thing that I was really good at was going for it. I was just all in all the time. I had a ton of no ambition and about. energy, <laughs> right? You're in good company. You're sandwiched between two people who live in that mentality. Yes. Yeah, right. It's, it's let's go for it. Why not? The challenge was I wasn't really sure how to deal with setbacks back then. And my approach to dealing with setbacks was to withdraw. So if anything didn't go as planned, I would withdraw or I would avoid, or I would rationalize why I always knew it was going to be a failure anyway, or whatever it might be. I had, I had my go-to strategies that I didn't even know I was playing that were defense mechanisms for me to deal with setbacks. So one example that comes to mind um, strongly, because it was such a really big flat, fall flat on my face moment. I was actually running a sales training program at an organization and had created this cool program that we were going to roll out nationally. And my boss, the vice president at the time said, Hey, Christina, I'm going to present this to all these business owners. There's 500 people. Come on in. You can watch it get presented. You put so much hard work into this. Why don't you come into the boardroom while we launch this? So I go into this boardroom and you got 500 people on one of those spider conference phones. And I'm feeling quite keen and excited. I'm like, yeah, I did my hard work and now I get to be here. What a cool reward. And the CEO of the company starts off about how great this program is and kicks it to my boss who was going to present on it. Except my boss has a panic attack. He has a panic oh, no. attack and I knew it only after the fact, but he said, great question to this individual. He said, great question. Christina, why don't you take it from here? And I had no prep. I had no warning that I was going to be presenting. And so I literally stood there staring at the CEO of the company, staring at my boss, staring at the other SVPs in the room and spider this phone. like daunting <laughs> spider conference phone with 500 people on the other side. 
and I froze. Oh. Yeah, I totally froze. I totally froze. And luckily, what I realized is people want you to succeed. People want you to succeed. And the president and the CEO who were in the room said, noticed that I was freezing. I looked really good, by the way. I, I froze in a very nice position. So I looked professional, like I knew what I was doing. I just didn't <laughs> open my mouth. Is that the key to freezing? And they said, you know what? That's Christina, mannequin imposter syndrome. The, the <laughs> totally. key to freezing is not catching flies. Yes, that's right. <laughs> just look like you know what you're doing externally anyway. And it was great. They were really kind about it. They got me started and I ended up completing it. But my instinct afterwards was mm. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to get in front of people again. I'm never going to present again. Gosh, that was terrifying. My brand is ruined forever. I can't believe I've lost so much credibility. And that avoidance took me probably three months to get over actually. And now I'm a keynote speaker. So that would have been a real loss had I actually listened to that inner critic and allowed myself to avoid it. So for me, it's really important. That was a pattern of mine that I had rationalized, well, public speaking just isn't for me because it was a defense mechanism instead of like, hey, I failed, great, let's try again. Let's give it another shot. And lo and behold, I gave it another shot and was their keynote speaker 10 years later and um, and was able to crush it because I had the more confidence and more skill and was better prepared, but that took 10 years of iteration. When you stood up from that table, what were you feeling? What, like, like, what was your first step like as you left that table, walked out of the room, got in your car, found a big tub of ice cream, you know, walk me through that. I did what many of us do, which is I beat myself up. I did. I beat myself up. I can't believe you did that. I went to worst case scenario. At that point, I think I thought my career was over. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, I'm exaggerating slightly, but it was not a great day for me. And I called actually my mentor at the time and I said, oh my God, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I got the strangest <laughs> response. He laughed. He laughed and he said, cool. So when are we going to try that again? And what did we learn and how do we move on? Elemental. And it was a really interesting moment because I was thinking, no, no, you missed the crisis. Did I, let me go back. Let me go yeah. back to the moment where I froze and there was this really embarrassing moment. He's like, yeah, happens all the time. That's the normal turbulence that comes with business. And I thought, oh, okay. And I still took a long time to get back out there. But what I will say is it was a really good lesson for me that there are other ways to approach things. Oh, that's mm. my pattern fascinating. I'm, I can be quite black and white. And I always joke, I always joke that I'm like, I'm just going to become a realtor, <laughs> which of course is like a great profession, but somehow things yeah. don't go well. It's all over. Forget it. Christina, the deep part about that, given your background in psychology, is that Julie's mother is a realtor. So when she says it's going to become a realtor, it, that's a heavy <laughs> statement. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> we're not here. We're not here to analyze me. We're not here to analyze me. But I do always like when I'm like, oh, that's terrible. But I would love to hear more about your mentor. Tell us about this person who and your relationship that you were able to that day pick up the phone and, and call and have that conversation. Yeah, I have a few mentors. I noticed early on in my career that some of the most successful people who I was observing in these leadership roles of those, I want to be there someday moments. Christina, I'm really excited to hear. What was the name of the person who you called that day when you walked out of the I mean, it may be embarrassing. It's my dad. That's wonderful. We get a lot of dad mentor shout outs. Absolutely. Well, I would say I've got two mentors. My mom and my dad are two super strong mentors in my life. And then I have three people who are in my line of business. One who's in my line of business and two CEOs that I call for mentorship regularly. But I actually believe it's less about these formal mentor relationships in that you're surrounded by mentors at all times if you just ask questions yeah. and look around and and lean in. I thought you were going to say you like called Richard Branson as your mentor and you were like going to be embarrassed be like, yeah, sorry, <laughs> dropping the big B right there. 
Drop the big B. No, I didn't call him. I called my dad and I still call my parents a ton. My mom is uh, was a badass entrepreneur in her day and put herself through university with kids. I still remember being a toddler and going to these lecture halls with her because she couldn't, she didn't have childcare. So I got to go to university when I was very little with her in classes. And yeah, 30 years ago as a female, being an entrepreneur was no small thing. And so that was fairly amazing to watch her. And then my dad was a really successful business leader. And so I often called him anytime I fall flat because he seems to have this. I once said to him, I once said to him, dad, I can't believe it. I failed. And he goes, what the heck is that? You failed. You just, you just had a setback. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And he goes, I don't think of failure. I don't think of it that way. And what's so cool is as I started my career in executive coaching, working with some people who, again, have just reached exceptional levels of achievement, they don't think about failure that way either. One of them I interviewed and I said, what was the greatest failure you had? And he goes, can we, can we turn this off for a second? I don't, I don't really use that word and I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't consider it failure. I consider it a natural part of the process. Like, oh, I'll reframe the question. <laughs> We'll change that. I love hearing that. It's fascinating about how they change the lexicon. What would they then say is their biggest regrets? For the people that don't use the word failure, would they have an answer for like a regret? Jimmy, it's an interesting question because it's usually around time with family. Truthfully, mm. it's, hmm. yeah. did I, did I spend, and I'm talking about people who nailed it, nailed their goals from a business standpoint. Many of them say, I would have liked to have chosen to spend more time with my family. And what I think just as a, a working mother is that doesn't mean at the expense of my business goals. I'm very clear. And I've seen a lot of examples where you can do both. You can do both. You can reach your business goals and spend time with your family and have the life you want to live. I strongly feel that both are possible. And you do a really nice outline in your book also on how all that is possible. Yeah. Just, just keep selling it in. Christina, okay. So I'd love to talk turkey a little bit about, because I like to talk turkey just in general, but about mentoring, because I felt like you really hit the nail on the head again about that mindset shift. The brain that is this, you know, always has that same go-to. I think sometimes as a mentor, it's easy to see what that potential whether it's the imposter syndrome, whether it's self-sabotage, whether it's black and white thinking, you know, fear of failure, et cetera. Like you can kind of see it, but your mentee can't see it. What kind of questions do you recommend a mentor potentially uses in a conversation with a mentee to help tease that out or to maybe help a mentee who, who kind of can't see these things about themselves, see them a little bit more clearly? And can you do that in like 20 to 22 seconds? <laughs> I'll answer that question. When someone is stuck, and they can't see their pattern, you're going to hear a lot of language of, yeah, but why don't you try this? Yeah, but I, I can't because what about this? Well, yeah, but honestly, I've tried that before. What about this? Yeah, I can't. That's not going to work either, Christina. Here's why. And from a mentor perspective, the greatest gift you can give a mentee is to be a mirror in terms of how they're showing up and reflect back what you're seeing. So it can be a really powerful question, like what else is possible? The challenge is you're going to get a lot of yeah, buts back. And then I usually push to the other side. Well, what if that yeah, but wasn't true? What if that was actually not probable outcome? What else could be possible? And continuing to push, not just on the block and talking about the block, but the other side of that block, the possibility mm -hmm. that's on the other side. If you get them excited enough about what's on the other side, the yeah, buts tend to fade away. I love that. So kind of helping paint for them this world when they get to where their potential goal is. And then maybe, yeah. you know, kind of asking questions around some of those roadblocks. Sometimes I know for me, it's really helpful when somebody points out patterns 
somebody who's known me a long time. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, that kind of reminds me of that other situation, you know? Oh yeah, that person seems like another person, you know, in your totally. life that you had this. And then you're like, oh, okay. Somebody else can kind of help point out those patterns for you and help you see where maybe those those are. So I think that's that's really cool. I like that idea of being able to help them sort of see past it. Yeah. I think a gift of a mentor is to say, I've hit that same roadblock. One of the greatest things you can do as a mentor is let them know they're not alone in their experience. It's it's very easy for someone to think no one else knows what this feels like. And the reality is what this book is about is my experience has been everyone most people, I shouldn't say everyone, most people have been in the same situation with the same feeling. And the context may be different, but the process for overcoming whatever that roadblock is, is the same. So helping you, helping your mentee say, gosh, I've been there. I know what you're experiencing, or I've been to somewhere similar, or I've seen this elsewhere. And that way they don't feel totally isolated and and they can see someone else has overcome it. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, Christina, but as soon as you start talking about the 40%, and how we're on autopilot, maybe because I have an 11th month old daughter, I started thinking about Cookie Monster. And Cookie Monster like really is pretty repetitive in what Cookie Monster is doing. It's the same thing all the time. And then I got thinking, well, what if you told Cookie Monster to go after something else? And Cookie Monster said, yeah, but yeah, what would that other world be? Mm-hmm. So now I'm thinking about what would the world beyond the yeah, but of Cookie Monster be? And I, I don't know. I don't know why that's in my head. I, I think Cookie Monster could pretty much do anything Cookie Monster wanted. Cookie Monster could. Cookie, if anyone could, Cookie Monster could. But I think it only has to be one thing. Like it has to be tacos. Totally. I think he's like, he's not a multitasker. Or is Cookie Monster they, he? They, Cookie Monster. Probably. For sure. They. Cookie Monster. I, I promise we don't chat Sesame Street often, so this is this is unique. No, but you know, you brought yes. up an ele- you have an eleven month old. Yeah, well, they are all pattern seeking right now. They are building patterns. They don't actually have patterns in place necessarily around the stuff that will impact them. It's your daughter's in the process of building those patterns. And what's really cool is I find you build those patterns from zero to twelve, and usually at that point. 10 to 12, you still feel like you can take on the world. And then you hit middle school and then you hit middle school and middle school and high school, you start thinking and hearing people reflecting back information about you that you never saw in yourself, that you may not feel good enough, that you may not feel successful enough, that you may not feel worthy enough, that you may not feel lovable enough. Your first breakup, never forget it. Ouch. And then when you're in your adulthood, you just have to make sure those teenage angst patterns aren't still playing out because those are often the ones that we're not even aware are there. And it's important to reset back to some of those healthier patterns that aren't going to make you feel like you're just not good enough every day. You'd be surprised how many of us as adults think, gosh, that happened. Something went wrong. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong. I think that's, I'd be very curious, Christina, like how many of your clients, that thing that they're stuck on relates back to something that happened to them between the ages of 13 and 18. Yeah. While we can't always identify what the event is, I will tell you that the belief that is made up that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy is a hundred. I will go with 99% of my clients. The 1% actually have clinical disorders. So I think that that's something different, right? If you feel self-doubt, you're in a good frame of mind. It means because self-doubt is just there. It's a risk barometer. It's saying, okay, I've got some risk to my status. I've got risk to my financials. I've got risk to my job. I've got risk to my social connections, whatever it might be. And so self-doubt kicks in to analyze those risks more effectively. And that's it. It's just a, a security system. It is not a fortune teller. 
It is not predicting what's going to happen. It is not something you need to turn the mic up on. You can let it do its thing behind closed doors. We all feel that and that's normal. It's just when you give it the mic, it's like a, an uncle at the wedding, a drunk uncle at the wedding who takes over the mic and starts making his own speech. You got to get the mic back. You got to get the mic back from self-doubt. I love that. I love that. If you imagine like your 13 year old self, like the first time you drink Boone's wine, you know, by the <laughs> convenience store with bugles, oof, bad combo. And that person being the one who grabs the mic and is like yelling in your ear when you're an adult trying to get over hard times and like not even getting over hard times but being resilient through challenges and and imagining that sort of younger version of yourself the one that's full of self-doubt coming up I always love like the visualizations of it so like okay you sit down (laughs) I'm gonna take the mic back that's a really great visualization and I think that's actually the kind of mentors are not coaches right they're very different but Mm -hmm. those kind of just I think mentors are always looking for ways to help mentees see things differently yeah so Christina something we hear often from mentors is that there's almost a narcissism not not like that this happens a preponderance amount of the time or majority of the time it's a minority but that the mentors show these like really narcissistic traits that they feel they can take on the world they can do everything are you saying that even though the mentor might be believing that this mentee is is bringing so much self-love to the conversation it's really them just hiding that inner critic and they've lost control of the mic the mentee comes with so much self-confidence and bravado and just wants to talk about all the wonderful things that that the mentee has done and the mentor is kind of like, uh, okay, what, what are we doing here? Are you saying that that mentee is really demonstrating mm-hmm. their own feelings of self-doubt through this showing off event? Yeah. When someone is showing off the majority of the time, let's assume they're in a good state psychologically. Yeah. <laughs> so and let's sober. put that caveat out there. <laughs> and sober. When someone is showing off, it's usually coming from a place of insecurity and needing to fill an inner void with external validation. And the challenge is the way that it lands is inauthentic and like bravado and arrogance. And arrogance actually repels people, whereas confidence galvanizes and it's like a magnet. We're actually drawn to confident people. Arrogance, it's a very fine line, but if you cross it, you're more likely to turn the room away from you than to engage them. So if a mentee is showing up that way, I actually recommend, again, mirroring that back. Hey, I notice you're highlighting a lot of the wins. It's really important to talk about the problem solving itself or the struggles you're facing because that way it's a more balanced, realistic approach. That's what the rest of us are dealing with. What else is going on for you? And also as a mentor, you can't really help somebody who has all the answers, right? Then it's like, well, why why am I here? I'm sure as a coach too, people come in and they like tell you how great they are. You're like, all right, well, there you go. You can just pay me. to sit here and listen to how great you are, then you're all good. You get a check mark. Here you go. Here's your gold star. Yeah. Or come back when you're ready to talk and then we can, uh, then we can really chat, chat through that. Christina, are you approached to be a mentor? You have such an amazing business and you're obviously, you know, in such an incredible field working with, with really most incredible leaders in business. Are people approaching you to be a mentor and how does that go? Yeah. I have several mentees who are looking to start their own business coaching practice or who are executives who are looking for additional support. So it's a non-coaching relationship where I've known them or they were previous clients and are just looking for random calls of support now and again. But I'm a strong believer in being a mentor. I, I recommend everybody. It's not only valuable for the mentee, but I actually learn a lot just thinking through and talking through my own thought process with someone and then getting feedback on how they're approaching it. And then I'm like, gosh, that'd be a really interesting way to look at it. So I find mentorship relationships are two-way from a benefit standpoint if they're handled appropriately. And and if you're climbing a mountain, you got to turn around and start pulling people up so that you have 
people around you who inspire you and who propel you and who are there to help and who you can help. And gosh, way more fun. Do you have a way when talking to mentees who you might feel like are usually only coming to you or don't have a significant network where they maybe aren't getting a, a large view or, or creating a community around them. I really love you getting your visualization of when you're climbing a mountain, you got to bring people with you. How do you recommend productively to a mentee or anybody, maybe even someone you're coaching, look, a community is going to help you here. You, you need others who are either walking the same path in a different forest or, you know, X, Y, Z. How do you kind of bring that up? It's interesting because normally if someone doesn't have other people to lean on, they're afraid to ask for help. It's, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just afraid to ask for help because if I ask for help, it means something. The fact is I'm not asking for help. If you look under the covers on that one, wherever you're looking, someone who isn't asking for help, myself included at times, I believe we've all been there. It's, um, you think, well, if I ask for help, it means that I'm not able to do this on my own. Mm. Or if I ask for help, they're going to make it mean that I don't know what I'm talking about and I have to show up super polished and super prepared and with a fully baked answer at all times. And I'm a strong proponent of not moving towards perfectionist mentality, but towards an excellence mentality. So perfectionist mentality means anytime I need help is a failure. Anytime I hit a setback, it's a failure. Any mistake, it's less than perfect. So gosh, ah, it's a failure. Excellence means I'm here to grow. I want to learn. I may be at the end of my career. I'm still learning. I mean, I love my clients who are out there retiring, starting something new and are trying to expand and grow neural connections at 75 years old. It's amazing. So anytime you've got someone who's not asking for help, that's my experience. There's usually a belief that's holding them back. And the way that I look at it and often a metaphor I use is you can sit there and row in your boat all by yourself and pull all the water you can with all those big muscles. But if you get 10 of your best friends to hop in the boat and pull water with you, you're going to pull 10 times more water and move 10 times faster and be able to laugh your way through it and splash each other and have fun. So we need, we need people. Do you know, if you don't have connections, you're 50% more likely to die prematurely, 50%. And not having connections is worse than smoking a pack a day of cigarettes. That's how bad it is for your health. What if you smoke with others? Well, then maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> but breaks are good. Yeah, Sorry. going up for cigarettes is good. But you need people. The brain is built. It's a social organ. You need people. Your brain actually requires connection to perform. Isn't that amazing? That is incredible. That goes to our mission of connecting more authentically with others. Jimmy, you're on the right track. Christina, have you rode crew before? Because I don't think they laugh at the end of those races. Well, then they go out for beer afterwards and laugh. There's some laughing at some point. Some point, at some point. My daughter is a rower. They are a pretty serious group, and I would definitely say perfectionist tendencies, but they do seem to have fun at some point. Yeah. But I love that analogy. That's brilliant. Where did you see that data on the having connections is worse than smoking a pack a day? Yeah, Harvard Medical School did some research on it, and I can uh, I can't send your readers the or your viewers the link. But Harvard Medical School- We can put it in the um, show notes. Yeah. Harvard Medical School did some research around the importance of connection. And I was fascinated by that. The um, In my book, in, in one of the chapters, I found, well, I would say this. When I was engaging with really exceptional people for this book and interviewing them, every single person said that connection was one of the most important foundational elements of their success, that they are 
consistently looking to engage with others and enlist them in what they're doing because they know their leverage is only so great as yeah. as the people around them. And yeah. and I think this is such an important topic right now, Christine. I was just on the phone with somebody who's a young gal who is just living in a different place every two months for the next you know stretch of time, kind of ad infinitum. Like the last two years, she's been doing that, and it's great because she gets to go lots of places. And she's like, I just miss a community. I miss mm-hmm. you know. She's like, it's, it, there's so many great things about it, but that is that miss of a community. And I think given the pandemic with everybody just being in different places, choosing different places, kind of missing that those connections in kind of our everyday lives while we have them in our professional ways. Do you have any recommendations within, you know, how to get kind of more connected in a business community within your actual community? I live in New York City, Jimmy's in Baltimore, you're in Denver. Are there ways that you recommend even your clients find ways to get more connected to, to help them, you know, continue to grow to their potential? First thing is not to be afraid to reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out. You may say to yourself, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what value they're going to get from it. I don't know if I'm going to look like I know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. Pick up the phone and reach out. And notice I said phone. So so email is <laughs> lovely, but black and white text, text is not very influential. Picking up a phone and having uh, a voice backing it is really impactful. The other thing I would say is be authentic. Show who you are. There's fascinating research where they took individuals and put them into fMRI machines to look at their neural activity when they were speaking about someone with whom they had a strong connection, a positive relationship. And what they found is when that person speaks about someone with whom they have a positive relationship, 14 parts of their brain light up. They're lit. They're energized. They want to help the individual. They're engaged. They're listening. But if they have a neutral to negative relationship with that individual, six parts of their brain activate and 11 deactivate. Meaning, I don't have a relationship with you. I'm going to think about my Amazon shopping list and I may even start protecting myself by not sharing information. So you go from goal-directed behavior with someone to a place of self-protection. So building connections and being authentic, sharing stories about yourself, asking questions about their lives, understanding where they're from, what their background is. Those are the things that remind us business is one thing, but human nature is is what we're all about. And so connect with them on a human level and trust increases. And, and then all of a sudden we're helping each other win. I can so imagine that as part of a mentoring conversation, when you realize that you're working with somebody and your brain starts shutting off and you start thinking about your Amazon shopping or, you know, there's something else that's going on. So that's actually an interesting way of looking at how much you bring to those conversations and whether or not maybe you're working with the right person or mm-hmm. if you're engaged in the conversation, if they're engaged in the conversation. That's fascinating. And of course, as a leader, right? I think that's probably where a lot of that comes from so that your team feels uh, connected and engaged. That's really cool. So Christina, speaking about the importance of community and building connections and how your brain fires up, you said earlier that you had quite a career and I've heard about your career with Xerox and everything before you started your business. And so at some point along the way, you must have made a decision that you were going to be going full-time into your business. How did you build community leading up to starting your business? How were mentors involved? I'm sure there was a lot of thought behind it and not just jumping off. What were your feelings on community during that time? I just jumped off. I wish, I wish I had some really powerful plan. You, you just said it was like, what? It was January, 2008. And you're like, I'm out. You just like walked in. You put, put a dirty you know on what? the table and just uh, You kicked the Xerox machine? Yeah, I kicked the Xerox <laughs> machine. And, and Xerox for me was phenomenal. And at the time, I had a two-year-old son who was having these blackout spells. And he was walking through the day at two, I mean, wobbling through the day, and would go unconscious, literally just go unconscious. It was a 
terrifying thing. And so I'd get calls from his nanny and from daycare that he was in an ambulance on his way to the hospital and could I come? And so we didn't know what was going on. And his pediatrician had some theories and we put him through some testing. And I was up in Niagara Falls actually running a workshop with 200 and some odd business owners. And I got this call after the workshop. I was the back of the room. I picked up the phone. It was the hospital, Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. And they said, so here's the thing. The signal from his brain to breathe is just failing. It keeps stopping. And so he passes out until he regains consciousness and we need him in for more tests. This could be really serious. And I had this moment where I felt like I was in this fog and everything around me, I realized was not where I needed to be. I did not need to be in this place at that time in that role. And so I picked up my laptop with total clarity, walked over to my boss, who's just amazing human being. And I said, Hey, I got to give you this. I have to stop working here. I have to be somewhere else in my life. And I handed him the laptop and he said, take it, go home, take care of your kid. And I said, no, no, if I take this home, I'm going to end up coming back on Monday. And I am super clear internally, this is not where I'm supposed to be. It was just a real moment of clarity for me. And I thought about starting my business for years. And it was just one of this catalyst for, oh, wow, I can't be traveling like this. I can't be doing this job right now. And I went home, drove home and called my husband and said, hey, honey, I quit my job. And... <laughs> I handed him my laptop. And I handed him my laptop and I was shaking. And he and he said, next time, can you call me before you're making a life decision? And I said, I know. But anyway, I walked in the door and this beautiful two-year-old wrapped his arms around me. And I thought, got it. I'm totally where I need to be. And I spent six months working with him and getting him on the right trajectory. And now he's a six foot something crushing life teenager and super happy and healthy. And then I got clear that every minute I spent at work has got to matter. Every minute I spent at work has got to matter. It is so powerful for me just even today when I say that. And and so I started my own company. And instead of just writing for the local paper, I wrote HBR, Harvard Business Review. And instead of just writing my journal, I called up Psychology Today and said, hey, I want to get these ideas out there. What do you think? And it's not like they said, yeah, sure. Gosh, hi, Christina. Thanks for calling. Yeah. We were waiting for you. I'm we sitting looking you. at my phone. Where you been? Totally. It took time and I didn't let up and I got there and, and my business grew and my, my annual sal salary at my company had become my monthly salary at my own company. It, and so it was really exciting. I, it grew over now, I don't know, 15 years or however long it's been. So it was immediate, wow. Jimmy. I didn't plan. I mean, I don't want to be cheesy. I don't want to be cheesy, but that's choosing greatness. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, that's kind of the definition of it is really having that clarity of choice and choosing to change. And everything that you've talked about that those voices in your head, those things that you tell about yourself where you're, you know, you have to switch your brain around it. You kind of got to the other side of it and chose greatness. And now you're having the opportunity to make such a big impact, of course, with your clients, but then also with, with us and with, you know, kind of the broader world by bringing this message out there and helping people really get to that other side. So I think that's just incredibly cool. And uh, what a phenomenal story. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Painful. Painful at the time. Purposeful now. <laughs> uh, I'm blown away, Christina. That was not the answer I was expecting, but you describing that back of the conference room, giving the laptop, you know, and then seeing your son when you get home, I'm blown away. I have goosebumps. Thank you so much for sharing. That's wow. You bet. And it's, I do live my life that way. I do. I feel having almost lost him and been, when you're in a hospital and you've got somebody who you might lose, and the whole world outside is just gone. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't register. There's nothing outside that room. And so when I got outside of that room and when I brought him home and got back into my house, I was like, okay, got it. 
this is not the same world I just left. Let's make this matter. I cannot hold myself back. I cannot let other people hold themselves back because stuff happens when you least expect it. And and I think that's really important to choose what you want and just go after it. Don't wait till you're ready. Don't wait till the timing's perfect. Don't wait until you've got the right certifications and diplomas. Just start building the plane while you fly it. And then soon enough, you'll be soaring. Good start. One of our previous guests, Jacqueline Baker, who has a phenomenal book, The Unexpected Leader, if you have not read it yet or listened to Jacqueline's podcast, we highly recommend it. She also has a podcast called Just Start. Awesome. And that's what she's all about. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's just, even just that in my head, I always think it's just start, just start. Speaking about kind of getting your head out of the clouds, we have something called the no fly list where there's something specifically that we have our guests recommend to our listeners, never ask or never say to a mentor. Is there anything that comes to mind immediately for you where you're like, yeah, just never say pick my brain. Just don't do it. Anything to that effect that really like kind of rubs you the wrong way or you've seen be really unproductive for a new relationship? Question that comes to mind for me is, which which people ask me every time they connect with me is, how did you get to where you are today? And I know that's an interesting question, but there's so many more meaningful questions you could ask, which is what were some of the greatest lessons you learned versus me going through my resume? Or where did you hit your biggest roadblocks and what did you get from that? Or if you could go back and do it again, what would you do differently? And my answer there might be nothing, but that, but at least it's a question that's enticing me to think differently than I started here and then I went there and now I'm here. And this is because that path is different for everybody. That path, and it's usually not linear. It's usually jumping from one thing to the next. So I would love a meaningful question around growth because to me, that's what it all comes back to. We're all here just growing and learning and setbacks and, are part of that. don't mention Cookie Monster. Yes. And don't mention Cookie Monster. Another thing I always like to ask is a rapid fire word association for just a couple words. So uh, whatever comes to mind immediately, when I say the word mentor, what do you say? Rise. How about if I say mentee? I was going to say lending hand, but one word. This is a tough game, Jimmy. (laughs) It's Friday afternoon. I'm keeping you on. Yeah. Jimmy does not make Friday afternoons easier. No. I mean, it's the future, future. right? The mentee is the future. The mentee yeah. is the future. Well, then if mentees are the future, what's a sponsor? Someone who believes. Believer. And coach. Partner. Partner. I love it. That's really interesting in that you have partner and believer. I don't think we've had those two put together like that before. I really like that because it is very different. In a coach, like you, you're there whether or not you want to be, they're already on the team. But uh, as a sponsor, you kind of get to choose. You have to believe. You got to believe you're not going to be a big sponsor. Yeah. You're out there selling this person. And if you don't believe, no benefit. Is there one quote from one of your mentors that you still say to yourself today? Like, is there something that's still bopping around in your head? Maybe it is, you know, like almost that quote you said at the beginning from your dad, where you're like, okay, that's just one of the pieces of turbulence in business. When are you doing it again? But like, is there one that like continues to ring true? Yeah. The one that I consistently come back to is problem solve, don't personalize. Everything is just data. Problem solve it. Here's the problem in front of you. Not a mistake. Great. It's just a problem. Gotta know when you're, you wanted a job. Okay. That's a new problem. How do I address it? Versus personalizing it. Personalizing it is something completely different. And that's a journey to move from one perspective to the other. And it's something I come back to regularly. You just made the civil engineer in me very happy. There are no emotions. (laughs) They're just problems. (laughs) Problems. Just problems. It's problematic when we make it emotional. I'm going to use that at dinner today. I'll let you know how my artist wife responds. Perfect. (laughs) Emotions are great for passion, right? Emotions are great to propel you. 
It's just when you got to solve a problem, they can cloud your thinking. Amen. Amen. I love it. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Christina. Grab me up. Yeah, you bet. Christina, wow. We're almost at our time. I can't believe it. This was so great. I totally, I love so much of what you brought in this book, Choosing Greatness. I think it really is a fresh perspective and I love a lot of the data that you brought together and of course the interviews and we have loved talking to you. I think you gave us a lot to think about and some really good tips that we can share with our listeners on how to connect more authentically because those connections are what's going to help them grow to their potential. So thanks so much for spending time with us. Oh, thank you. That was really fun. Julie, what a show. I know, Christina. Wasn't she dreamy? Oh, dreamy. I just felt like I got to do more and be a little more clear. I think I'm like vacillating, wasting time. I'm like one of those stand-up fans on a hot day, just going back and forth. <laughs> I mean, you are tall with long limbs, so I guess I can kind of see that for you. I had a very clear takeaway from our conversation. And to me, it was the yeah, but. So <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> the yeah, but. The yeah, but. Oh, definitely the yeah, but. Yep. The yeah, but, which is pretty close to, I guess, a Flintstones, you know, <laughs> get feet out the car. It's also very similar to a musical artist, the yeah, yeah, yeahs that are out there. And last but not least, the Welsh rarebit also makes me think about the yeah buts. Yeah. So the, the yeah but is something that I do quite all the, all the time as well. When someone's like, well, why don't you just do this? And I'm like, well, I've already thought through it. Yeah, that's just not a way I can go through it. So I say, yeah, but here's why this doesn't work because I've already spent time thinking about this. So as somebody likes to be a planner, planners often say this, they say, yeah, but that's not a new idea. I've already thought of it. Thanks, do better. And Christina's way of laying it out, like, sure, you can dismiss it, but put yourself in that world. What does that world feel like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? Why do you want to be there? Like really emotionally immerse yourself there and then think about what's going to take to get there. Because if you would just allow yourself to remove the barrier, if you allow yourself to not say, yeah, but there's such a wonderful world out there where a Welsh rabbit as a dish has no <laughs> rabbit involved. Okay. I'm putting the Welsh rabbit aside, but it does help you get beyond what your it's really your barrier so if somebody i don't know if you have had a recent scenario i have had a recent scenario where somebody was trying to give me advice i was like yeah but i can't do that or yeah but okay it was you know a physical activity it was like yeah but i have a bad back it's like okay well, why do you have, why do you say that or why you know like could you try this or that and at the end of the day like if you want to have a better back you got to have a stronger core so try something a little bit different and i could feel my whole body tense up when somebody was making these suggestions to me because i just was not open to it. And it was like, yeah, but you don't understand. I can't do that. And of course, there's things you actually can't do, especially physically. But I did get to the other side. I did try something that was hard. And I did it again. And guess what? I'm really proud of myself. One of the biggest limitation in this world is our minds. So if we can remove the yeah, but and actually put ourselves in that successful spot, it really changes how we can plan and create strategies for success. Totally. I love that. And I think the next point that she made that I think mentors can really help mentees with is getting rid of your inner critic. And of course, I loved how she talked about your phases of your life through your childhood, especially your teen years, and how those can be very impactful in learning why you are not enough or why you are not worthy. And that those memories 
keep us stuck and they keep us through our life and then can prevent us from what we're talking about. They kind of are like, they're the backup singers for the yeah buts. And mm-hmm. she talks about not giving them the mic, not giving that teenage version of yourself the mic. So my question for you, Jimmy, is if there was the teenage version of you that was going to be singing karaoke, what would that teenage version be singing? As soon as you were talking about backup singers, I always think about how much fun it looked like to be one of Tina Turner's backup singers when she was doing Proud Mary. And you get to do the whole like little thing in the water and get the arms moving and just let Tina, Tina carries the show. So that would be the backup singer I would prefer to be at karaoke. I don't particularly enjoy karaoke, but I think I could be a good backup karaoke singer. I think it could be a good backup karaoke singer. And I have to say, Proud Mary is a great song that gets you certainly feeling rolling, very good about yourself and getting you into into that mindset. So really, the key point is letting go of that inner critic. Take the mic away from that crazy you know, teenage self who did not feel like they were enough. And let Proud Mary take the mic. And have Jimmy be your backup singer. It's all going to be don't, okay. Don't let me be the backup singer. But yeah, but <laughs> I'll remove the yeah, but instead say yes. And it was so interesting to me that when she described the inner critic as your teenage self, it so is. When I am criticizing myself, it is not in words that I commonly use today. It is in those words that I learned during those teenage years. It's a very different, almost lack of superego somewhere between ego and id kind of development that comes out. And yeah, that that's personifies the inner critic. It's a big concept and it's a hard one to get past because it is totally ingrained in us. And talking about teenage selves brings me to our third point that I really appreciated about oh, our outro. The outro. We've removed the case of the yeah buts. We have politely silenced our teenage inner critic, teenage self inner critic. And the outro point is the power of connections can improve your life, like connections with others, meaningful relationships where you really feel like you are nourishing someone else and they are nourishing you. That provides better outcomes for quality and quantity of life than negatives such as smoking a pack a day. It's that much more beneficial to your life. And Harvard Medical School has a fantastic study that we should all think about. I I love the idea, and I know you do this, uh, Julie. How many people on your block did you wave to today and say hello to? (laughs) I mean, I live in New York City, so anytime you wave and say hi to your neighbor, it's a big deal. It's like, you know, it's like, it's a big statement. But yeah. I got I got a couple folks that always say hi to in the morning, always say good morning. I know my neighbors around me. So I do. I feel connected. And I have a lot of very close friends in the neighborhood that I get to spend time with walking or, you know, getting to see and have really deep connections and conversations with them in person. What about you? I bet you're the friendliest guy on your block. Maybe not. Only because I did some construction and therefore hung out outside more than others. I think now it's more because I have a, a very cute infant that likes to smile and pretend to wave at people. But yeah, I mean, we're making jokes about it. The importance of connections. You know, not having connections in your life has a worse quality of life outcome than smoking a pack a day. It is so important to grow with others, to struggle with others, to be with others and care, as opposed to alienating yourself, being an outcast, You can still be your own self, live your own life, but you do need people who you want to care about and you hope that they care about you. Jimmy, what about smoking with others though? Does that count? A lot of people that do that. That's a great way to make connections. (laughs) 
probably not the way that your uh, inner critic used to do it. But I just think that's missed too much, especially with, with our Zoom world and the way Christina put it, you know, that's about the you know, mentees and mentors. Like we have this opportunity to develop a relationship. You don't necessarily have to be watering that relationship daily, weekly, monthly, or even yearly. But if you show consistency over time and you know that you have somebody that's going to call you back within 24 hours and have yeah. had conversations with you over five or 10 years, like some of the important inflection point conversations of your life, that's a meaningful connection. That's really going to provide happiness and joy over time. And I hope that people continue to search for those relationships, not just because they know what the outcomes are, which are going to be greater success and greater happiness, but also just that they can help somebody else. And I love how she said, pick up the phone. <laughs> just do it. Just start. Just start. Oh my gosh. What a great episode. I feel like we had some really good takeaways from Christina Curtis. I am excited to see where she goes and where she takes this and how others can use her great information. And it was really fun to share this podcast with you, Jimmy. Thank you. See us for cookie and podcast is for me. I mean, that's good enough for me. I'm better than Wow, you've made it this far, and we thank you. Hopefully, you enjoyed our episode with Christina Curtis and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or on social with our handle at augmentershq. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out an earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See ya. 